Welcome to Versatile Strategy, a Marvel Crisis Protocol podcast. On this podcast, we hope to offer a unique perspective on roster creation, tournament and league reviews, and reviews of upcoming characters. I'm Nick. And I'm John. And today, we got some new cards to look at. So that's always fun. But uh, first, John, you've been playing A-Force. How's that going? Yeah, why don't we run through some A-Force talk quick. Nick, I got a couple games in last week, and we played probably five games total, and there have been some successes, and there have been some frustrations. We wanted to catch everybody up on there. The tournament is coming up this weekend from recording, so next week we'll have a review for you of how it went. But let's talk about how those practice games went. Some were fantastic, and some were not. They were very dice-dependent, and within the roster that we'd created, I made some changes on the characters I was taking, hoping I could make some adjustments. I think the biggest frustration that we found is they are a very readable affiliation. Players know you're going to have special delivery. They're anticipating special delivery. And you kind of get into this game of chicken with your opponent of who are they going to give you and are you going to take that bait? And that's that's hard for me to play. I've In the past, I've played rosters where almost every character is a key piece and those characters can make a decision point in the game where this one feels like you're just waiting to throw She-Hulk up the board. If She-Hulk can pop off, you know, you're going to have a great game and you're going to get the attrition rolling and you're probably going to win. And there's some games I played where she just could not get anything going. So much so that I re-looked at who I had in the roster in terms of cards and characters and I realized I had Sherry, so I was playing Sherry in the next game for re-rolls. And it worked a little better. It was nice. Sherry helped with the attack and defense for She-Hulk. But overall, it's just kind of a frustration point for me to have someone realize this is what he's trying to do turn one. What do you think on that one? So your primary, I guess, thought process then with special delivery is to use it as a turn, like an opening sort of play with She-Hulk to get her into the fight on the first turn? Or is it something that, like, you didn't play it every first round? You Like, you would save it until later? I've played it. I've played it every first round opening. Not opening activation, but... Generally, once an enemy would move a decent character to the midline, I was using it as an alpha strike to get She-Hulk up there to be hitting. I didn't want to be okay. moving her around with a six threat, not getting as many attacks in as I could. The mindset being, if you can get her, maybe get around one days off. If not, you finish from off round two. Then whoever's attacking her, you can aggressive. Because for six threat, she needs to be attacking. She can't be moving with mm-hmm. with move actions. So generally the play was Crystal or Angela. I think I played Captain Marvel once, and they were special delivering her up, getting the attacks in. Okay. Uh, do you have your roster handy, just so we can go over what it ended up being when you were done with it, or are you still going to make some changes for it before this weekend? Yeah, Nick, we can run through the roster real quick so we can kind of get re-caught up with where we're at here. So we had She-Hulk, Angela, Crystal, Captain Marvel, Scarlet Witch, Black Cat, Domino, Okoye, Shiri, and Hood was the only out-of-affiliation character. Cards, we were playing Demons, Intrusions, and Terrigen Clouds. And then Montessi, Researcher, Alien Ship. Tactics cards were Brace and Patch Up for Restricted. Mission Objective, Face Me, No More Mutants, Whimsy Chaos, Hood's Gang, Stalwart Determination, Special Delivery, and A-Force Assemble. Okay, okay. I'm still surprised at no love for Medusa, honestly. Like, I feel like that hair flip, even even as an option turn one to save the special delivery to a later point, is good. If you can just feed her a power somehow before she, you know, activates and, and hair flips, or, uh, not hair flip, royal decree, 
She-Hulk up the board a little bit more. Um, but no love for Medusa, huh? I'm not sure if this is going to get me in any trouble or anything, but Angel is not making a cut for me in this roster. I've, pl- I've mm. played her multiple times trying to get her to work, trying to get her to execute, um, and I'm struggling. The, the best thing I've done with her is picked up two hammers and kept her alive by all means possible in terms of bodyguards and stalwart determination and really focusing on trying to have her be the objective runner. But for me, a five-third objective runner with a six-third leader just isn't worth the the cost, the opportunity cost, sure. rather. So Angela doesn't really come with any tactics cards that we have up there. I, I'm going to drop Angela for Medusa, Nick. I think that's a good shout. Okay. I think I was struggling to keep She-Hulk positions when the aggressives weren't enough. So I think the Royal Decrees are going to help. So yeah, let's cut Let's cut Angela. That was a sense of my frustration, too. And we'll put Medusa in there. Okay, okay. I like it. Yeah, because, I mean, like, your, what is your lowest threat value here? 16? You probably don't want to be playing lower than 16, but even at 16, you can still bring She-Hulk and Medusa and have room for two other characters if you want to go, like, a Koye and a three threat that can fly around and drop her off and still have access to that. So, like, Crystal would be good for that. Um, but yeah, it's, it's kind of interesting that you are having like that, that's kind of your, your take on a force, I guess. Um, I haven't played them a whole lot, but I mean, she Hulk being six threat is definitely kind of tough. I think. Yeah. I mean, let's, let's, when you look at the other six threats, like she's, she's very good. But she can just be controlled out of the game, and that's a lot of threat to to lose. So yeah, and there there were some successes. I mean, I don't I don't mean to sound just down on a force as a whole, but when you look at it, like the roster I was playing before this, Nick, which was the Shadow War, Shadowland, Daredevil, Criminal Syndicate, when it's your turn to activate, and you can have X twenty three pop off, Killmonger pop off, or Daredevil do something, and you have all these choices in your opponent to be like, what is he going to do? That's the puzzle I like to form when I'm playing this game. I don't I not having the best time having my opponent be like, here comes She-Hulk, let me just bait him up here, or let me hope he doesn't swing hard enough and I can survive. And when if that doesn't go off, you basically lose. But there was some successes. I mean, I played a game that we drew Researcher and Gamma. I won 17-0. to um, That's pretty impressive. Yeah, so it's <laughs> I'm not, not having success with the roster. I'm just having a sense of the frustration of the order of activation with it all. And I, I feel like you have to. Special Delivery is such a great card. The free movement, the free attack. It feels wrong to not play it, but it's just so readable. I'm having a hard time with it. Um, in, the game I, in that game I mentioned before, my opponent had brought Thor to the midline. And I'm like, well, Hood can go up there and do a chip damage. Thor is weak to Mystic. And then hopefully later on in the round, I can pull off Special Delivery and finish him with Angela. And uh, Hood went berserk and dazed Thor. He moved up once, shot him, did like three or four damage, and then finished him on the second attack. So... Got dicey there, and then of course I had Scarlet Witch because I knew he had some weaker Mystic Defense characters, and I was able to kill Thor top of two. I think Thor activated around two, but I played Stalwart Determination, so none of his throws went off. So Stalwart Determination is definitely the standout card for me when you look at the tactics cards they have. Having Indomitable on every character except for Hood for the entire round, he was so frustrated, Nick. I mean, when he had Scourge for throws, Thor for throws... It really shut down his action economy and his his choices to make for that entire round. And I think every game I played, I played stalwart either two or three, and it really allows you to make sure you're set up correctly and execute effectively. Yeah, that's that's interesting. Yeah, stalwart determination is great. I mean, it's team wide indomitable for a force essentially. Like 
we've already talked about how good Indomitable is, so having something that's going to help your entire squad when most of you, like, with the exception of Hood in your roster, is are going to benefit from that, it's, yeah, it's got to be fantastic. Yeah, and honestly, if Hood is getting, Hood's normally in the scrap, right? So I think I had She-Hulk within range to Bodyguard for that one, or, you know, Akoya can Bodyguard as well. In worst case scenario, if Hood's thrown, he's probably damaged. If he's damaged by any effect, you're transforming your charges online, so you don't care about the depositioning that much. But yeah, overall, Star Wars Determination is the most effective and fun card I've played here. I did have a really good time getting No More Mutants off. Thor had went for a throw on, I think it was turn one? One of the turns Thor went, maybe we played that game back-to-back after that first game didn't ended so quickly. I mean, it was the second game we played, and he went for a throw, and I got no more mutants off of Scarlet Witch. So that was it fits in the list as well. So I'm happy with that. But yeah, I um keep on trucking. I'm definitely gonna cut Angela. I think that was a good shout there for Medusa. Angela's not a bad objective runner, and she's good at what she does. But I was dumping all of my dice rolls in Sherry to make sure that either Shulk stayed alive, or was taking one point of damage so I could get the aggressive off, or just rolling her attack dice to make sure she was getting damage in. To the point where I didn't have the positioning nor the power to make sure that Angela was effective. And I know, I, maybe I have the worst dice luck in the world, Nick, but I went for a pursuit attack and I didn't get the hit again. And God, when Angela doesn't get that pursuit off, you just want to pack her up. It's so frustrating. A five threat not getting that is, and it's on a hit too. So yeah. that was frustrating. Yeah. The The biggest success I've had, like I saw with her before, is I was playing a game against Chris who played Convocation, or Defenders, excuse me, and two hammers on her, and I spent three or four rounds keeping her alive. But is that worth five? Like, And then the turn she dazed, they need her to come back and take the hammers back, and she whiffed. So, yep, Angela's out. Medusa's in. I like that shout. And next week we'll get some reports on how this works overall. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. should be a, a good time. <clears throat> all right i think the crisis stay the same the cards stay the same and yeah all the i've played all the characters which is pretty rare for me normally i play i get locked into six or seven even in tournament days i get kind of comfortable in like a crush mode and play the same list over and over but that does speak to one of the strengths of a force is they have pretty good depth of affiliated team yeah they do they have a lot of really good characters the fact that the um, leadership you can pass power to black cat to get turn one steals off is huge you know she allows yep. you to play the objective game while you play the attrition game up front um, and the rest of them are either so killy or so supporty. They all have a place, which is nice. I know when we built the list, I was pretty weak on Crystal, but you talked to me in her, and I certainly appreciate that because while she is primarily a special delivery vessel with that long movement, with the leadership and being able to pass her power, she can get those three attacks off a turn. Oh, yeah. And I, oh, yeah. Crystal's great. And the fact that you can't, yeah, shake, you can't shake certain conditions within range of her, I've been using her a lot to drop Shielk off and then go fight a flank one-on-one, hoping she can tank enough with her 3-3-3 with a reroll. You know, I've had her stand toe-to-toe with Moon Knight and get a slow on him and stat conditions on him so he has to stand there and fight her. And by taking that piece out of the game, allow Shielk to do what she needs to do on the other side of the board. So, yeah, every every single one of these characters I've played and I've liked. Angela's the one that I'm most frustrated, so I'm happy to see her out of this list. Do we want to move on to the cards that were spoiled this week, Nick? Yeah, so we got, I think it was at the end of last week, the Dark Star and Crimson Dynamo tactic cards. And today, 
we saw the two tactic cards in the Nick Fury and the Howling Commandos box. So let's go ahead and start with the Winter Guard, Dark Star and Crimson Dynamo cards. We have three in this box, Dark Aura Manifestation, Fusion Caster, and Winter Rush. So let's go ahead and read Dark Aura Manifestation first. This is an unaffiliated active card. During the power phase, an allied Dark Star may spend one power to play this card. This round, when other characters within three of Dark Star... Other characters within three of Dark Star roll one fewer defense dice against energy attacks. So, to me, this sounds like a worse version of something like Bitter Rivals, because it affects your allies, too. What do you think, John? Yeah, for me, the Winter Guard have been shaped up to be this tanky, scenario-holding team. And she weakens the energy defense of her allies? I really don't think I'm going to be playing this card very often. She's... Yeah, I'm having a hard time figuring out where to play it, Nick. Like, like it's nice you can turn the attack dice stronger when you're attacking enemies, but yeah. the risk to hurt yourself is like, yeah, with Diamond with the rerolls and everything else the Winter Guard have going for them, it may not be that big of a negative for the Winter Guard player, but I hate to see it affect them like this. Yeah, it's... It's weird because it feels it feels like it's a card that you have to play to play Dark uh, Dark Star because it definitely like it synergizes very well with her with the five die energy builder or gainer that she has. Um, but yeah, I don't I mean I guess Crimson Dynamo has an energy beam too as his builder, so it's not the worst. I just don't see you throwing her off to a flank by herself to like everyone played blind obsession on a flank to do some damage. Like it's just like a worse blind obsession or a worse bit of rivals. Like you said, but she's not going to go out to a flank by herself and fight. Like these guys want to be bunched up and supporting each other within range. Like, yeah. And I, I really don't want people within three of her. Honestly, she's kind of fragile. (laughs) Yeah. We always talk about positioning and I can't see where the positioning on this card makes any sense. Yeah. <clears throat> Maybe we're wrong. It could be excellent. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we're wrong a lot, and people prove us wrong immediately. Yeah. So we'll, we'll make sure to cycle back to this one if this one sets the world on fire, and it's literally, she makes every list and this card's in every <laughs> list, and we're just like, oh, they were wrong. But <laughs> Prove us wrong. The next one I'm much more excited about, and that's Fusion Caster, if you're ready to move on to the next one, Nick. Yeah, let's go ahead and read that one, John. So Fusion Caster is an unaffiliated active card, and during Crimson Dynamo's activation, he may spend three power to use this card. Crimson Dynamo may use the attack listed above once this activation, and that is Fusion Caster. It's an energy attack. It's a beam three, seven die energy attack. When rolling additional die for crit results during each attack, each attack, Roll two additional dice instead of one for each crit in the attack roll. After the attack is resolved, this character suffers one damage for each crit in that attack roll. What do you think? Well, other people have already mentioned this, but I mean, I'm going to piggyback. It's definitely reminiscent of War Machine's uh, Empty the Clip. Yep. In in the, the extra crit dice, but taking damage for crits. I, it's not terrible. He's he's relatively tanky as is. I think he has seven health on his healthy side, so it's not the worst thing. It is three power, so you're probably not doing this until maybe turn two or turn three. It's beam three, so you might only hit two characters with it. I doubt you're hitting three, 
Um, you gotta be real good position to hit three, I think. But it's, yeah, it's not terrible. Um, I think if you're playing Dynamo, this is definitely a card you look at, uh, regardless of what affiliation he's in. If you take him in something like Red Skull Cabal, I mean, that affiliation loves beams, so this is probably something you look at for that. Uh, but I don't know. That's kind of my take on it. What about you? I like it a lot. I see it as, like, we've talked about Crimson Dynamo being kind of this budget Tony Stark, and I love the fact that it kind of is like a lower range, lower dice, unibeam attack, but he's damaging his suit to take the do the attack. I, I like the theme of it. I think that on tight-knit secures it's going to be useful you know we're talking demons intrusions gamma if researcher if people are bunched up you can just blast them with this i think you're right nick this is a card that if diamond was in your 10 this is in your 10 won't make the table every turn i certainly probably wouldn't bring it on a b or a d being that only range three beam but in certain matchups you're definitely going to see this card played i think yep yep and to your point his tankiness is going to allow him to take a couple of points of damage and not be too concerned with it yeah, why don't we move yeah. on to Winter Rush? You want to run us through that one? Yep. I'm very excited for this one. Uh, so this is Winter Rush. This is a Winter Guard reactive card. During the power phase, any number of allied Winter Guard characters may spend any number of power to play this card. If six or more power was spent to play this card, each time an allied character is damaged by an enemy effect this round, after the effect is resolved, another allied Winter Guard character may advance short towards the enemy character that caused the effect. So it is... I think this is the second card we've seen that has a sort of group buy-in, uh, the other one being All According to Plan, where multiple characters can pay for it, and it basically gives your entire team Big Sis, Little Sis for X-23 and Badger, which is pretty good. You know, this is this is something I think you're probably taking every game with Winter Guard. Um, the, the threat of... Having you know your your Red Guardian or your Crimson Dynamo or your Dark Star too up too far up the table, and oh, do you want to attack them? If you do, there's a bear that's going to come maul you. Um, we talked about how Ursa Major is going to be kind of slow, and I think this is going to be his primary delivery device. I mean, he's even on the art for the card, <laughs> um, so I think he's going to be the the one that definitely benefits from this the most out of this affiliation. What do you think, John? Yeah, I like it. It kind of has like that pseudo-aggressive kind of movement shenanigans to it and it's nice to see a team that wants to be on the secures have an out of activation movement i think i think i'll definitely see it in the winter guard lists yeah all right why don't we get into the cards that were teased today and those are over the top and infiltration these ones i'm a little bit more excited about winter guard wasn't really panning out to one that seems like one that I'm going to be interested in playing too terribly much. So these kind of give you an idea of where S.H.I.E.L.D. is going. Over the top is an unaffiliated active card. And during the allied Nick Fury and the Howling Commando or Steve Roger character activation, they may spend two power to play this card. Choose an enemy character within four of this character. This character may advance its speed towards the chosen enemy character. After the advance, the opposing player may choose a character they control to make an attack targeting the advancing character. Kind of a pseudo-reverse-face-me-charge-esque card, Nick. Yeah, that's definitely the feel I got from it, too. It's it's any attack, so they can use a spender, which is kind of scary, and it's range 4. So, or... No, it's not 
any character may make the attack. Yeah, so if Not you have if you have a Ooh. if you have a sniper, I mean if you're playing like Guardians, that's rocket shooting at you. The X Force, that's cable. I mean they have long range attackers. They get the they get to pick the cream of the crop attack that's within range. It's like a high risk, high reward, right? It's important to mention this will work yeah. on Corbox Captain America. He is Steve Rogers, so this card will work for both of them. Although I do see it being used more on the new released Captain America, which is the Steve Rogers, Captain America, Steve Rogers. Um, with this card, <laughs> if you get it off and you can kind of block line of sight and get it kind of, if you position it correctly, you can not get attacked. And then if you have two more power, then you're on your left. You've just made two medium moves and still have two actions left. So for him, I like it. I think you may see it on the Howling Commandos if they can get in a position for those prototype weapon attacks. But it does have that big opportunity cost of taking a potential damaging attack, right? Yeah. I, it's interesting that you, you think this will be good or better, I guess, on the Steve Rogers Captain America um, th- as opposed to Korbox Cap. I think Korbox Cap is actually going to like this card more, especially after he gets flipped because he's counting blanks on his defense rolls then. Um, and he's going to be loaded up with power by then, most likely. So he can use this to get into the fight a little bit more. So, I mean, he's not the the hideous character in the core box by any stretch. But, I mean, using like the, the reposition and all of his other tech is going to be good for this. Because, like, he's got the bodyguard. The new cap doesn't. Um, he... I, I don't know. I, just, I think core box cap is going to like this more. Yeah, you may get into a position, Nick, where you can kind of use it as a second Avengers assemble for what it's worth. If you have Captain mm-hmm. America out of position on a flank or a home secure, you can move him basically towards the enemy, which is if you're on the flank or your home objective to the next, you know, if we're talking demons yep. or gamma that takes you from your home to the middle within bodyguard range to your point, that's a good shout. I didn't think of that necessarily. I did like the mobility on the other cap, but I think core box can take full advantage of it as well. Do you think the Avenger players are going to have problems finding room there 10 for it? Do you think it's still make the 10 there? That I don't know, because I'm not super experienced with what the general 10 cards for Avengers are going to be. Um, I know Avengers Assemble is always in there. Heroes for Hire, obviously. One of the Iron Man attack cards, most likely. Ricochet Blast, um, yeah, that one's always there. Yeah. It seems like Helios kind of fell off for what it was. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, this is, this is definitely going to be something that if it's not in the majority of Avengers rosters, it's probably one that people are still looking at as a potential, like, 11th or 12th card. Um, I know we always kind of say that there's always a couple every time there's, you know, some some new tech that comes out that, you know, there's a couple cards that are always that 11th or 10th, and I think this will probably be in that situation as well. Yeah, and you'll probably get a, you get a player, Nick, that can take full advantage of it. You know, I've seen games where a player will play bird of prey which is a card i had to look up because i never saw it before and then you realize when people can find those cards that are kind of hidden in the rough and make full use of them they can really throw an opponent off to not necessarily know oh i know what you're doing with this card the opposite of what we're talking about with special delivery if someone sees this card they may not know oh my god when are they going to use it are they using it on steve are they using it on howling commandos but that offers value to pose the question to your opponent yep yep well, we got one more, right. Nick, and that's Infiltration. Do you want to run us through that one? Yeah, so Infiltration is an unaffiliated reactive card. 
If Nick Fury and the Howling Commandos and this card are part of your squad, do not deploy Nick Fury and the Howling Commandos. It is still part of your squad and gains power at, during the power phase as normal. During an allied character's activation, if Nick Fury and the Howling Commandos are part of your squad and are not on the battlefield, the allied character may play this card. Place a flare token within three of this character. During the next cleanup phase, place Nick Fury and the Howling Commandos within one of the flare token. We saw this at Mini Stravaganza. We talked about it a couple weeks ago. I think it's still great. Nothing has changed my mind on that. <laughs> um, it's unaffiliated. It's a deep strike, the first we've seen of its kind in this game. And it's. I think this card is going to open up a lot of possibilities for new design space. So, Yeah, I was excited to see them add this mechanic to the game and think of the way that they can add this to other characters. You know, so far the only kind of technique we've had like this has been stealth which isn't really the same thing so it's nice to see them find ways to add sneaky characters into the game and i'm excited to see how they add that to other characters from the marvel pantheon that may have a similar ability or like to get behind enemy lines or as it may be yep 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 i agree all right i think the last thing we want to do today was run through a character nick do you want to pick one for us yeah, we got to come up with a name for this. Um, we did this a couple weeks ago uh, with Medusa. This is something where we're going to take a character at random that's been released from the game, uh, for the game, and sort of give an idea as to where we would play this character if it was our favorite character and how we would kind of make them a centerpiece in the roster we were building. Um, because, like AMG has always said, everybody has a favorite character in Marvel, and... If you have a favorite character, it makes sense that you would want to play them as much as possible to their greatest potential. Uh, so today we're going to be talking about the Ancient One, which I'm going to be honest with you, I don't know anybody whose favorite character is Ancient One. <laughs> <laughs> if, if you guys are out there, you have to let us know on the Facebook page that Ancient One is your I, favorite. I'm, I'm sure there are. Uh, portrayed very well in the Doctor Strange movie um, and in Endgame by Tilda Swinton. Uh, at least this version of the ancient one that they're kind of they're kind of t using for this game. Uh, there's a different version in the comics, I guess. I'm not super familiar with with that one. Um, why don't you uh, you go ahead and start, John? What do you think of Ancient One? What what uh, speaks to you about her? So the Ancient One fills a role as kind of this fragile glass cannon mystic assassin type character. I want to say mm -hmm. she's pretty fragile. Uh, her defenses are two physical, three energy, and five mystics. So if someone can get to her and take advantage of that, she's in trouble. So the player really needs to be able to use her superpowers to the greatest potential and positioning. But if you can, she can take characters that are weak to mystic to murder town. She has three different mystic attacks. So she does a martial artist so her energy of three for counting blanks within two isn't the end of the world but that two physical defense is pretty weak um she can reroll them she is the keeper of the eye of agamotto so that is an innate superpower she has when this character is making a defense or dodge roll she can reroll to two of its defense dice or dodge dice and that does give her an extra power in the power phase as well so she kind of has like a little a little mini version of dr strange's so two we're rolling both but still if you know if I could get a She-Hulk into her, she'd be in trouble. You know, she only has six health on her both sides. But if if the player's good enough to position her and maybe have bodyguards or a way to boost her, you know, Doctor Strange, 
OG can boost those defense <laughs> rolls. She she can definitely be a threat on the table, and I think that's how you want to play her. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is a character I was kind of looking at uh, when I was building Convocation too, and I'll be honest, maybe I kind of overlooked her a little bit. Um, I think playing Ancient One, especially in Affiliation, um, where she's affiliated Defenders and uh, Convocation, obviously Defenders don't have any tactic cards that, are, that really offer anything to her. Um, but in Convocation, I think she's somebody that makes very good use of Astral Ring. I was just, yep, yeah, you um, took the words out of my mouth yep. on that one. Because <laughs> for the ones that don't know, her, her, her top attack there is the Shards of the Seraphim. It's a range 2, 5 die Mystic attack with Pierce. You really want to be getting that attack off. But she's so fragile, but the Astral Ring allows her to make that from a safer distance. Yep, and she has she generates the power to play it every turn because it costs 2 for that card. Um so Astral Ring is definitely a card that I would look at if I was bringing Ancient One. Um, another one that I want to say is a Convocation card. Is it Books of Cagliostro? Yeah, that sounds how I would have said it. So. <laughs> yeah, 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 this is the. Yeah, this is the one that gives you an extra activation on a character. It's like their their um, Cosmic Invigoration. And this is another one that costs two, so she's always generating the power for it. But this one, you have to have two characters within three of the chosen character pay two each. So she's paying for half of this card. Um, But if you have a Wong or a Dr. Voodoo or a Magic, somebody that's nearby and you want to take an activated token off of your Murder Strange and go murder some more people or off of your your OG Strange and, you know, heal a bunch of people and, and do... Uh, good support stuff um this is definitely another card i look at for ancient one as far as affiliations outside of affiliation where do you think she fits best john i really like her in convocation affiliated i like her in defenders um she kind of wants to be that mystic attack range we have to keep her safe so she may not be a bad shout in the A-Force roster if you're looking to not play hood if you have a problem with hood or don't just don't want to play hood the fact that she all and Akoya can keep her safe helps. I hate to lean on the crutch of Steve-led Avengers, but getting those discounted powers isn't going to help. Steve offers the bodyguard if she gets into a tough situation against physical attacks. Those are ones that shout out to me immediately. Are there any that you can think of, Nick? Uh, one place that I might consider for her is Brotherhood. Um, I think that she's a character that would do very well under Magneto if you have Magnetic Refraction in your roster. Um, that's just going to give her a guaranteed block effectively every round when she has only the two and the three for her physical and energy. So that's another way to keep her standing. Um, and you can feed her power with Magneto's leadership too uh, to get her spender off, which is very good. Uh, it's a range two attack, but it's eight dice and it's an auto stagger and their crits don't explode or count. <laughs> um, so she kind of takes people to murder, murder town with that. Um, it also helps power her up for her uh, reposition sort of defensive ability that she has. Yeah, that was called uh, uh, Mists of Hogoth. It costs her two, and she can play. No, 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 not not that one. The other one, uh, Winds of a Tomb. Winds of a Tomb. Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, with so this is a reactive cost of three. Uh, when this character is targeted by an attack, it can use a superpower, push the attacking character towards this character short. So you can push people into her martial artist range, and you can also kind of in 
sort of in conjunction with Magneto, just keep pushing people around because you can pull people out of Magneto's reroll, or if she's close enough to Mag Magneto, pull them into his reroll so he doesn't have to waste the, the first attack dragging them in. Um, when f so I think... Go ahead. Yeah, Winds of a Tomb is also an important thing to think of, is that if it's their second attack and Ancient One is not activated yet, you can bring, if they're maybe at range 3, you can bring them into the Shards of the Seraphim Builder attack. Yep. So, or you can use it to pull them off of a secure that they're standing on yep. if the if it's their second attack. So Yeah, that's not a bad shot yep. there, Nick. I like that a lot. Um, and honestly, if people are consumed with dealing with Ancient One, then Magneto's on the murder train, you know? I like building yep, rosters yep. of all threats, and it's like, deal, <laughs> deal with one, because here comes the next. Yep, yep. Is there any tactics cards you think should be stapled to her, ones that she definitely needs to be looking at? Hmm. Not necessarily. Um, I know we had mentioned maybe. it last time. There's characters that always have some, and there's some that don't necessarily need them. I know we already talked about Astral Ring, and that's probably the that's probably the biggest one for me, and one I see players always play with her. Honestly, with how fragile she is, I feel like Disarm is something you might look at when you're bringing her. Um, sacrifice if we're, maybe, if we're in yeah, the world of restricted and we want to look at sacrifice too yeah maybe that's the maybe, maybe that's the disarm tech right yeah <laughs> yeah I mean it's too physical the worst when you can take two of their attacks away yeah yeah that being said she probably pairs well with some of the winter guard with the ability to mess with opponent's dice or maybe Heimdall giving her rerolls like having the yeah. rerolls from the keeper of the eye of Agamotto on top of Heimdall isn't a bad idea yep yeah, or, you know, stick her with anyone that gives a reroll, honestly. Zemo's another great shout. <laughs> yeah, so it's like, the the key to Ancient One is positioning, is making sure that you're within range for martial artists if you're that far invested. If not, it's making sure that you have wins for a tomb online if you need it. Or, on her turn, using the Mist of Hogoth, which lets her place herself within two of her current position. You know, that's, that's not just a range to place to get onto objectives or out of range. That's that's a bump across the corner of a terrain piece to either get cover or out of line of sight completely. So keeping her safe is probably the biggest thing to think of when you're playing her. Yeah. I wonder if I'll have to, I'll have, I'd have to check this, but I wonder if she, so she's a medium mover on a small base. I wonder if she can reach the center line with her range three attack. I think she can. And if she is able to do that, is she able to medium move, use her fangs of Frala, generate the one power, attack, and then mist. hop to, yeah, attack, and then mist in onto like a, a center line secure or extract with that one leftover power she'd have? I'm not a hundred percent sure on if that works out, but it feels like it was designed to work that way. It's close to some wishing her card. But there's more. there's no there's yeah. no concern about the range three hitting because Hood can do that. With a medium yep, move and a range three attack, the question is: Is that range two bump enough to get her to contest? But yeah, I mean that's not a bad shout either. Yep. No. I know that's kind of where I am on Ancient One. Still, don't really have a, a great structure or anything for this sort of segment, so we're just kind of rambling now. <laughs> um, yeah, I think yeah, I think the I point know. is we want to make sure that everyone realizes that. AMG talks about over and over this bell curve of characters that they're as close to that curve as they can be. And that makes every character viable. And we want to make sure we touch on characters that people are interested in. 
generally for this segment we've been just randomizing it but if you guys feel like there's one character you want us to talk about over others please feel free to reach out to us and we can make sure to bump them to the front of the list because whether it's random or there's something you guys are looking for it doesn't matter to me and we'd honestly rather interact with the community in a way that we can talk about things you guys are interested in so definitely definitely um so i think that about wraps us up for today unless you had anything else you wanted to add john no, you know, we've had some episodes that have went a little long, so let's cut this one short and sweet, and then next week we'll get on here with some tournament review for you guys. Nick, right. if people wanted to reach out for you, where is the best place for them to do so? I am Waffle on all of the various MCP discords, and what about you, John? I am in Cariel on all of the major MCP discords. I know Nick has mentioned it a couple weeks ago. If you guys want to get in contact with, uh, in contact with us on there, make sure to DM us. I know sometimes I get pinged in posts and, you know, if, if you're in the middle of something or something, that can get buried pretty quick. So if that's where you guys are looking to talk to us, maybe a DM is the way to go. But honestly, the best place is probably on our Facebook page, Versatile Strategy. That's where the voting happens for what affiliation we're playing. We just finished up Nick's convocation roster on there. And very shortly, once we have a date for our next local tournament, I will have a poll open for what I'll be playing. So... If you guys are interested in helping us decide what rosters we're going to draft, that's the place to do so. As always, if you guys can take the time to like or comment on the podcast platform of choice, that helps us out, get the algorithms going. We certainly appreciate it. And I think that's going to wrap it up. Nick, anything else? Sounds good to me. We'll see you guys next week.